Hi, this is Editing Elena from the future. I'm just popping in to say that we had a bit of technical issues recording this episode. My mic failed and I only have the backup mic, which means that my track is not as pristine and wonderful as we would all like. But it was still a very interesting conversation and Eva's mic is perfect. So I hope you give it a go and listen to our discussion of The Piano Room. Here's the show. Bookshelf Remix, a spoilerful podcast where two scholars take deep dives into pop fiction by underrepresented authors. My name is Elena. And I'm Eva. And today we are discussing The Piano Room, Cleo Valenza's debut novel. Set in Hungary across the 1980s and 90s, thanks to a non-linear split narrative, The Piano Room mostly follows Ferdi, a dishwasher who has a talent for music. We get hints that he comes from an abusive background, and we accompany him as he discovers friendship and tenderness for the first time. We find out that his abuser is his doppelganger Sandor, the son of two famous musicians who creates Ferdi to compensate for his own lack of talent. I would like to thank Fairlight Books for a review copy of this book, so thank you very much for sending that to me. I will say that this is a pretty dark book. So the following content warnings apply for this episode. We'll probably discuss some physical abuse, emotional abuse, and murder. Eva, how did you feel about this book? I I felt sort of quite torn with this book. I found the pacing a little bit hard to kind of get into, but there were also some characters who I really sort of warmed to through the book. So Ferdy's main character, I did feel quite tender towards him Um, and I felt quite sort of curious particularly about his present day storyline how that would develop watching him kind of connect with the world and make friendships and things like that and I I think that storyline I really enjoyed reading but I did sort of I think struggle somewhat with the the split narrative approach even though that's something I normally enjoy but I think it took me a bit out of Ferdy's journey and I think we'll probably discuss more that I found Sandor's storyline a little bit harder to get into his head of what was kind of going on there yeah and I did like the sort of twinning of Sandor and Ferdy and the kind of fairy tale element of that but perhaps could have maybe done with more yeah more sort of of a clear motive behind Sandor's driving storyline. How did you find it? Yeah, very similar to you. I felt very attached to Ferdi and I really liked his friendships with Ertzi and Dita mm. and his relationship with Peta. Like, I found that that was very well fleshed out and I felt that as a reader, we could really feel for Ferdi as our protagonist. 
which is interesting because when I read the back of the book or the description of the story, I expected it to be the other way around, that we would be more in Sandor's shoes as the person who realizes he's made a mistake by making this Faustian deal of um, creating his doppelganger. But, I mean, I... I don't mind following Ferdy more. I just wished it had been more balanced. And I agree that the flashbacks that are almost all like every chapter. Yeah. Um, uh, towards the end, less so. But for most of the book, it's almost every chapter. We flip back and forth and it kind of takes the wind out of the sails hmm. of the story. And I mean, I hesitate to say I would have wanted it differently because this way we do get to see Ferdy as he has a kind of established life. So we do get to meet him on our own terms or on his own terms. If we had gone chronologically, maybe Mm. that would not have, it would have been a different story, I suppose. Mm. But I did like that it was set in Hungary. I don't read a lot of books set in Eastern Europe. I did wish we had a bit more sense of place um mm. they take the city a lot and assume that's budapest but mm. i'm not sure it could be another medium to big city and okay this is my quibble and i can't expect the author to make it a political book but it is explicitly said in the 1980s and 90s in Hungary. That is a pivotal moment from right before the wall fell to after the wall, the wall fell. And mm. I think there's one mention of the wall mm. at all in the whole book. And I just feel I would have liked some more kind of context clues about what it's like to live kind of towards the waning of communism and the USSR. Um, because I have family members that were there and people that were there, like who grew up there in the nineties. Um, and it's a very particular type of existence. And I, I felt mm. this kind of an ahistorical book in yeah. a way. So for a book that is meant to be set like a Gothic setting, I always associate that with a very strong sense of place. And I don't think I got that from this book. Yeah, I felt really similarly about the the setting because some of the descriptions of um, the city were so specific. The river and the bars in which Ferdy and his friends were working um, and, you know, the places where they were meeting. But, like, it, it felt like they could have been made to be a particular place like place or it could have been made to have details where you could go to that place and feel that but instead it just felt like these were picture book very specific picture book settings rather than having a context and it would have maybe felt less weird if the dates weren't listed or at the beginning of each chapter to say you know 1980 or 1990 Um, and even that felt a little bit weird because in terms of even like historically in like a wider sense some of the bits in the mansion with Sandor we didn't really get that many clues to the fact that it's the 80s like in terms of what the characters are reading 
listening to talking about it just felt like it could have been any time in the past 100 years like it was all like gun rooms and mansions but it's the 80s so like it it almost felt like because it's a more modern retelling of like a Faustian tale that those dates were put on to think this would be a way of reframing this story but it would but there wasn't the follow-through in terms of how the characters were kind of moving in the in the world like even Ferdy not use having like well not a mobile phone but like there being one landline in the whole building was mm-hmm. strange yeah yeah I mean Burworth kind of mentioned that he couldn't afford his own landline which I mm. feel probably was a yeah. thing yeah um but yeah it just I wonder why it was set in those times Unless Valencia just really didn't want to deal with smartphones, so or the internet or something. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was a very strange because why set it then if you're not going to address communism, if you're not going to address like fashion or events going on mm. that kind of anchor you? Um. I I don't know. I with this kind of thing where it could be like magical realism if you anchored it in realism in that kind of Mm. way um so i guess it left me a bit hungry as we say in french (laughs) 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 you're just like uh yeah i just it was almost there and i wanted more yeah yeah it had lots of the components which like on paper i was like yes we've got this Eastern European setting, we've got like a bit of um, the Gothic and this mansion and we've got doppelgangers and I love things which have doppelgangers in them. Um, Vampire Diaries. (laughs) Yeah, slowly. But uh, yeah, it just didn't quite land and maybe some of the creepiness, I felt like it, I didn't feel that it was creepy because yeah, we'll talk about that more, but I felt I was gearing up for creepiness, which I didn't get, which, yes, yeah, maybe I left me I felt more hungry. like, I felt it was, I don't know, I felt not traumatizing, but the accounts of the abuse that happened mm. um, was so dark, but the setting yeah. was not creepy in the traditional Gothic sense. Yeah. So if we're talking about the Gothic setting and... I did really enjoy the descriptions of the Esterhazy mansion, which is Sandor's family. So he comes from a long line of established, like famous and very proficient musicians, the Esterhazys. And so he lives in this, this huge mansion. Uh, So I guess like the description of the mansion was good. I really liked that, but I do feel we don't spend that much time there. And when we do spend time there, it is always through the lens of Sandor, who mm. is either upset at his parents or disgusted by Ferdy, whom he created, which I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wish that there'd been more done with the house or the mansion, because I guess the two components of the gothic right are the unwanted inheritance um and also the like buildings often symbolize um the internal world of those living there um but because from 
right from Ferdy's creation and right from Sandor's deal, we're always in on the secret. So that means that kind of the gothic tension is a bit lost because we straight away know what's going to happen and we straight away feel Sandor's disgust at the creation of Ferdy. And there's no kind of building of that or slowly uncovering something. And we also don't get to be inside the mind of the people working in the house like mm-hmm. Dorica we don't get to be inside the mind of his parents who might be feeling like there's something weird going on something's not quite right like Sandor seems a bit different today or you know that why is the piano room always shut up or what's going on with the gun room we're on the other side which is kind of exciting like to be in a gothic tale and be with the unknown unspeakable events rather than on the other side but I feel like there was something missing in terms of the setting then didn't feel symbolic of anything because we were the literal we were just going through the literal bad thing which was happening there wasn't really any symbolism of yeah I mean you make me think of for example in Mexican gothic the protagonist comes from the outside and then slowly gets trapped and Mm. doesn't know what's going on until and there is a reveal so in that sense like you feel a claustrophobia you feel like who is my friend who is my enemy that kind of tension and here as you say like we don't get that so it would have been interesting to see like the family members and then be like something is strange but so we have the fear of them being discovered, but we don't have the uncanniness on the mm. other side of being like, is this my son? Is this not my son? And I guess if we were to take the story as it's, that it's told, I think I would have loved to see more of Sandor and Ferdy's relationship. And so mm. it could have been interesting if like Sandor was originally thrilled. Of, like, mm. this is the best mm. thing ever. Yeah. I finally have someone who has the talent I do not have and we can make the most of it so I can live my best life. But he almost is immediately completely disgusted Mm. with this. So, and maybe we should talk about that. Like, why do you think his main emotion towards Ferdy is utter disgust? So I wondered if this might be trying to get at like, the Freudian idea of like the uncanny or unheimlich where someone feels unsettled by something and Freud wrote this like extremely weird paper (laughs) where he just like mused on why are some things creepy more or less Um, and one thing which he spoke about quite a lot is the idea of doppelgangers or doubling so like halls of mirrors twins those kind of things and talking about why might those things be experienced as uncanny and but I think the problem maybe is Sandor being totally disgusted felt a little bit wrong because it you would I guess the uncanny is more like you feel a creeping unease and then it gets under your skin and more and more it builds and then maybe you get to disgust but you kind of start off yeah more just like something's kind of wrong whereas because he's has such a visceral reaction straight away it's quite hard to um 
for him to go anywhere then with with that. Yeah, that's why I felt it fell a bit flat because there was, as you say, there was nowhere to go. He was just like, Freddy disgusts me. It brings him to like physical violence. And it's, yeah, it was really hard to read some passages. You're like, Freddy does not deserve this. This is terrible. But then, okay, so this is spoiler for the ending, but eventually... Like, so Sandor keeps Ferdy trapped. So he can only take him out at night to practice in the piano room. Also, Ferdy is kind of jonesing for the piano. Like, if he doesn't get to play, he, like, literally self-harms. So he must have access to the piano. So they're doing the subterfuge. But then one of the servants discovers them, and Sandor tries to kill her and she runs away and then her husband has been looking for her and Sandor kills Abel, the husband. So there's a murder and then Ferdi uses the commotion to kind of run away. And that's where, you know, he goes on and he starts his life and that's where we meet him in the city. But okay, so Sandor murdered this person and then later on, 10 years later, when he tries to find Ferdi again, he's like, well, I want to resuscitate Abel so to undo the fact that I am a murderer, even though by that time he's killed other people for expediency's sake. <laughs> and so, okay, so is, is, is the thing that... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so casual about these killings. I'm like, oh yeah, he killed... But the, the point is, like, I don't understand Sanders' motivation. He's just like, I want to wipe the slates clean. Like, he, he always threatens to kill Ferdy, but then he doesn't kill Ferdy. So instead of doing that, he wants to resuscitate Abel to try and absolve himself. But I don't understand, A, why he would want to do that. Or why he doesn't finally just kill Ferdy if Ferdy is the original sin. And also why that murder, amongst all his other crimes, is the one which haunts and bothers him. Or, I mean, we don't really get a sense of it really haunting him, to be honest. It's more that it was like a mistake and he wants to undo it. It And it also doesn't kind of fit with his, what he purportedly wants to achieve by having created Ferdy, that that whole exercise was a way of kind of being free so he could kind of go and live his life as he pleased. And so it would make more sense if he was in hiding because of that murder, but actually the sort of supernatural character had erased the murder of Abel from everyone's mind. So it's not like public perception was holding him back from doing whatever he wanted. Um, It's something internal. I almost wondered if it was like, so that he would bring back the secret so he could share it with other people and be able for everyone to see him as he truly is but we didn't really get that like developed but but my yeah. my theory is that by creating Ferdy he there was actually a de-doubling so like the good parts of Sandor got out and then mm. the like kind of messed up parts mm. remained and so that's why Ferdy is so pure and like just mm. loves life and he connects with the music so easily and Sandor could never connect to the music that way and I think like maybe what's left is and that's why at the end they're just like you know who is the real who is the real man Mm. and who is not and Sandor seems to imply that he no longer is a man um he is the creature 
he mm. is the Frankenstein's monster. He so in that sense, he's trying to like reclaim his humanity, and so he thinks that you know resuscitating Abel will reclaim his humanity mm. in some way. But he doesn't care like who he hurts on his journey. He's completely stunted, as you say. He he doesn't do any of the plans he had. He's mm. just kind of obsessed with this idea of like feeling human again. Mm. While Ferdy is like discovering his humanity. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that works. I, I feel I I like that reading. It's also one thing which I find kind of interesting is we never um even though Sandor makes it very clear and when we're inside his head, we kind of feel that his piano playing is not pleasing to him. We never actually have if someone external saying your piano playing is crap. Like, (laughs) so I, I also wondered like to what extent that was his, you know, perception of it. Like, well, we do have Gabriella say like, yeah, yeah, because at some point, some of Sandor's childhood friends, like recognize Mm -hmm. Ferdi and thinks he's Sandor. And so they're very confused when he's just like, I'm not Sandor. Mm. And then the, musician who's taken him under her wing is like oh no it's well known that Sandor Esterhazy was like a dud (laughs) no you're right you're right yeah no you are right yeah I wonder if that works as as the reason then that all of the good bits of him were kind of pulled out but if that was the case it might have been nice for us to experience some of those positive attributes in Sandor in advance yeah yeah because we didn't really get enough time to know him before he was kind of tainted by his mm-hmm. crime. That's true. And that's why like, I just want more Sandor in that sense. of like, I want to know yeah. what's going on there. Yeah. I also wondered what he was doing for like the years where Ferdy was kind of, we, we learned how Ferdy was kind of making his way in, in the world and, you know, getting, working up to work in the bar and, and, was homeless for a period of time but um I would have really liked to see Sandor try and make something of the freedom which he'd gained um and only then to sort of fall from that success or mm-hmm. like he runs off with his love interest and then it's not what he hoped it might have been yeah if he had gone to America to see Maggie and then been really yeah. miserable and feel like having no aim and no purpose like yeah I mean, I guess this segues into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is, in a many ways, this is kind of a coming-of-age story, hmm. at least for Ferdy. <laughs> um, but how do you link this story and, in general, Sandor's attitude and use of magic after our reading of Goldigers, for example? Yeah, so I found this quite interesting as a, as a question. So, like, in Gold Diggers, magic is, I guess, portrayed quite differently in that it's something which is kind of passed down through generations or earned through, like, hard study. And there is a price to pay, but that price kind of gradually makes itself known. So, like, over time, the characters um, start to have the negative effects of engaging with the magic but in this book Sandor feels literally from the instant that the magic has worked he regrets it and he kind of doesn't move at all from that place of regret 
like maybe slight variations and how much he really, really regrets it. But it's just an albatross around his neck from the moment it happens. So in that way, there's a parallel of like magic has a price. But here there was almost no redemption for him, which also varies from Faust because Faust does have like a period of like, you know, reveling in what he's obtained. Mm -hmm. Whereas here there wasn't really any reveling. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess a parallel I could bring forward is, you know, in gold diggers, they were drinking gold to get, ahead without much of a purpose and that was kind of the problem Mm. and the kind of shortcuts that are taken and Sandor like I'm thinking obviously he wanted a shortcut when he made the deal to create Ferdy but afterwards he could only think in terms of shortcuts of like let me do another spell let me do another Mm. sacrifice let me do this so like and that will somehow rehabilitate my character my humanity Mm. like he's using magic as a shortcut Mm. which i feel like in gold diggers we see how that's detrimental and also in gold diggers we get to see the two main characters not achieve their Mm. dreams or the dreams their parents have put on them Mm. um and here we kind of get a hint of that but we don't actually see it happen so we know Mm. sandor never made anything of himself we know his like family somehow went bankrupt like i don't understand how (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i feel like there's similar themes except in gold diggers they were like made explicit and we followed that journey Mm. whilst here we don't that's really interesting yeah the the aimless because although he did set set out with a kind of this is what I'm going to do there's going to be a plan Ferdy is going to take my place and I'm going to you know pursue a life of freedom and we see that he has no freedom at all because he's sort of apparently racked with disgust (laughs) to the extent that he's unable to move on um but uh yeah it it's certainly yeah certainly there's parallels and and there's no kind of i don't know um parent trap comic relief of him teaching everything Mm. teaching sandor teaching ferdy about like his childhood anecdotes and like yeah. if my mother asks you this like remember the weekend in Prague or something <laughs> like um Sandor doesn't really is disgusted again we keep repeating this but this is so much in the book by even the idea that Freddy would make a convincing facsimile mm. which is kind of against the whole point of why he's there but he just the one time Ferdy interacts with um, Sandor's mother and she doesn't notice anything because it's a very brief interaction. Sandor is like, oh no, he could really take my place. I'm like, but isn't that why? So this is kind of, but I wanted to see more of that. If you have that competing tension, we want to understand why. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a really interesting idea. Like you don't want the role which is mapped out for you in the world, but you also hate the other the idea that someone else could fill your spot like I think that's something which is quite resonant like sometimes people are like I don't want to be doing this I don't want to have this role in my family or my work life or my personal life whatever it is um but then you would hate the idea of someone stepping in and taking that place and that could have been 
really interesting if there was more of that and also I did this is a very minor thing but um there are some skills which Ferdy kind of has innately like he's able to read and write I think just straight away but he's not able to play piano and I found I was a bit sort of I wondered if there were some signs in the book that he had been someone else before mm-hmm. or and we never kind of found out where he'd come from before but maybe he had been a person or a creature who was able to read and write um but was not able to play piano but had the capacity and was like pulled out of that life into this one but that would have been more interesting to know like what was he pulled out of what's he left behind yeah, that's another thing that was hinted at, but again, not developed, that there's a constant threat of sending back, sending Ferdy back to where he came from. And apparently that was a terrible place. But then, as you're saying, well, it's such a terrible place, but he still learned to read and write. And mm. I don't know, some basic social skills um, mm. somehow. But they're like, it's kind of like, oh, we pulled him from hell. This is a hell creature that we and he definitely doesn't want to go there but also he meets other characters who are like him so we kind of live in the world where there are other doppelgangers there's like a Mm. hint of like you are just like me we are not real and this idea of you know what it is to be real what it is to be human is like a a big theme in the Furby storyline Hmm. and so i i wish they had developed that (laughs) if you have this idea of like there are other doppelgangers which means you know these deals happen more often than we think they do and what does it mean to live in a world full of doppelgangers and i don't Hmm. know there's something would be interesting something interesting to do with artifice or i don't know wearing masks and all these things yeah, if he'd seen, because all the, the doppelgangers are either mentioned in passing or there's one who is swiftly <laughs> disposed of. Um, so, but we don't, it would be interesting to see if other people were kind of filling in or standing in the shoes, mm-hmm. like in the same way, like, I don't know, in the music settings, which Ferdy finds himself in, like there's someone else who is not really meant to be there. And if we could have seen different types of doppelganger relationships, like maybe some doppelgangers really have a symbiotic yeah. relationship and it works out, or is it always doomed from the start because mm. this deal means you lose part of yourself to create your doppelganger? That would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're just sitting here being like, this book could be better. <laughs> If it was different, um, but, whoops. But I think there's, I think there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Because there were so many interesting themes, mm-hmm. like that. It was like rife with interesting themes. Yeah. Um, but I guess just seeing a, a few of those like pulled out more would have been what we were like. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about Ferdy and what we did like, and kind mm. of that. So. I did like the kind of quotidianness of the Furby storyline. We really follow him as he moves through the world. And I think it's difficult to write a fish out of water narrative. And I think this was done quite well. So Furby's experiencing things 
in a way for the first time like yes he's been in the world for 10 years now and he has some life experience but we really see him like find joy in friendship in mm. moments of like sharing food and sharing coffee and going out with his friends and seeing his friends kind of like fall in love or date and then kind of dating himself although okay so he has a relationship with a young man named Petar but they keep referring to Petar as the boy yeah and I was like oh maybe it's because I'm watching Pretty Little Liars but I'm just like <laughs> oh no stop stop calling him the boy <laughs> like this feels, oh, I don't like this because <laughs> oh, like Freddy is 29 at this point in the story and he keeps calling him the boy and I'm like oh no yeah because at first when he, that character was introduced I thought he was like a child um yeah. so that was a little bit confusing and I'm still not yeah I'm still not clear what age he was but but yeah putting that troublesome thing to one side yeah I I really like those moments of Ferdy's kind of connection with other people and I really liked some of the little scenes like in his flat him having a pic like picnic with his friends or like going out to drink and also them having pride in his like abilities on the piano because we kind of understand that he hasn't had I guess that pure admiration like because Sandor when he would practice I guess felt very aggressive towards him and kind of almost angry at what he was able to achieve and quite like dictatorial about his learning. So it's nice for him, the thing which he's genuinely good at to be appreciated, but also that he makes friends before that, that they're not friends with him because of that special skill, but just through, you know, working together and enjoying each other's company. Yeah, it's really him discovering that he is lovable. Because mm. before then, his only interaction had been with Sandor, who made him feel like he was worthless. Mm. And that he was an abomination. And that, yeah, no one would ever want to touch him. There's a big through line of, like, never being touched. And mm. this idea of, yes, having, like, his friend, like, have a picnic and just feel comfortable in his presence. And then, you know, have someone interested in him romantically. It was... Yeah, I don't know. It was very sweet to get to be privy to that kind of of interaction and of someone discovering, yeah, maybe this, this is what it's like when you come from an abusive relationship and then you realize, oh no, other people can be kind to me. Like mm. This is okay. And his friends, as you say, are very supportive and are also very loyal. Like mm. Dieter puts himself in danger for him and eventually dies for it. Um mm. And, like, they're just, like, they don't ask, I mean, they do ask questions, but they, yeah, they're happy to take him as he is. And yeah. they don't expect things from him. Well, I feel like Sandor both expected so much from him and detested the fact that he existed. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice, like, seeing Ferdy find, like, go from feeling like an imposter or yeah not the real thing to being just his own person with his own place in the world um 
I thought that was yeah really nice and also like I guess a theme which is like more widely resonant in that often people kind of walking through life feeling like am I like am I just an imposter kind of walking around and this is really someone else's life that they should be living so I think this goes towards my theory that there was a de-doubling and that Sandra was unable to enjoy the benefits Mm. of this magic because the magic was to create a whole other being who would be Mm. able to have a happy life yeah Um, yeah and maybe it wasn't one as like a international concert pianist but it Mm. was someone who was capable of feeling love (laughs) but Sandor seems incapable of yeah and seemed incapable of before the whole deal. <laughs> so. I guess we saw like hints of his love interest with Maggie as like an escape from what is like a kind of rigid routine. But I don't know. He didn't have a very good relationship with his parents. Like, no. He doesn't seem to have any school friends. If his parents had been more villainous, it would be more easy to understand. But I yeah. don't think they seemed particularly villainous. And that was also a parallel with gold diggers is the idea of the pressure that your parents put on you and how the characters Mm. deal with that. And I feel in the books, the characters turn to magic to deal with that pressure. Mm. In this book, it felt especially petulant of Sandor. Like, I feel like you can just tell your parents that, listen, I'm not good. You know, I'm not good. Can we please discuss an alternative? to me becoming a pianist like um I don't know it just feels it's hard for I understand that's difficult but I just feel it's hard for me to sympathize to that degree yeah and also like it could have I guess there could have been a Faustian like I guess in Faust doesn't Faust himself get the skills right rather than he doesn't no, there's create no stand-in, stand-in yeah. for himself yeah so so that's I guess quite a big variation from the the story because it's also he wouldn't just be giving up like this it's quite drastic magic because he's not just giving up the chance to you know play piano or something that all the piano playing would be done by someone else and he wouldn't remember it or, or something like that like he wants to give up his whole life and just like run off and leave a replacement is his plan Although I guess maybe that is a quite teenage, like mm-hmm. maybe that is quite an adolescent thing. So maybe that does work. Yeah. And it would have been interesting to see like the side of like, I don't want to disappoint my parents. My parents would be happier with their perfect child. I can never be the perfect child. Mm. Keep Mulan singing. But yeah. You know, <laughs> but, you know, Mulan became her own doppelganger. She didn't take one in to replace her um yeah but yeah it's basically my biggest problem with this book is I wanted more of Sandor not because he's a lovable character but because I needed more insight into his psyche yeah I can agree I can agree on that more Sandor please thank you All right, so I guess we can go move on to recommendations. I had a hard time because unlike other books I have read, I don't read a lot of Faustian books or things with like doppelgangers in general. But I mean, if 
what you want is kind of gothic themes and also descriptions of food and kind of not knowing like who you should be rooting for <laughs> kind of not knowing like having unreliable narrators or kind of complicated protagonists let's put it this way like having complicating protagonists who are also possibly murderers so i recommend we have always lived in the castle by shirley jackson and also a short story collection that is inspired by Jackson's work called When Things Get Dark, <laughs> edited by Ellen Datlow that just came out last year. So you can have the OG, you can read the Jackson, and then you can read um, a slew of people who are inspired by Jackson, including one of my faves, Carmen Maria Machado. Yeah, I also found um, it hard to think of recommendations which are more contemporary. I could think of a whole lot of like my favorite old white men gothic literature so i've just put in a couple of those um which i thought if you want unheimlich then there's nothing better than the sandman by eta hoffman and of course like anything by edgar Allan poe so fall of the house of usher for i guess building feelings that there's something wrong um within a mansion setting or telltale heart for like building paranoia and grief about making like a wrong decision which is maybe what we were after a bit more of but then I just a bit parallel or in a totally different direction I recently read and really enjoyed Disfigured by Amanda Leduc which is a book a non-fiction book exploring I guess the themes of disability within fairy tale settings um and I thought that there were lots of fairy tale themes I guess within this book and uh, some of the kind of vibes of things happening in a forest and something's not quite right I feel that that's really key in fairy tales and also something we've not mentioned is Ferdy has a facial disfigurement from a scar given to him by bullet wound from Sandor, which people do kind of comment on um, and kind of marks him as different in some way. And so from that perspective, I thought this might be an interesting read. It's very cool, especially since I think like the ancient Greek word for disabled is like, or disability is like the discourse on monsters. So this idea of like linking it to fairy tales mm. might be interesting. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I guess like I would recommend this book if you are curious about new authors. And as we said, like there are plenty of really good themes and maybe you won't be <laughs> as bothered as we were by <laughs> the lack of context. Yeah, I mean, it's by no means a terrible book. It was just uh, left me wanting more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'd maybe recommend it for people who have a, a kind of kind of want an, an introduction to Eastern European vibes, something set in Eastern Europe, but you're not quite at the stage where you want something really specific or place centered. You just kind of want a light. Um, yeah. Only vibes. <laughs> If you're sick of everything being set in New York City, yeah. you can pick this up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so 
before you vote, where can people find you? So you can follow me on Twitter at EA Sprecher or on Instagram at windup underscore book underscore chronicles. Um, you can also find me on ResearchGate for more of, if that's more your speed. <laughs> You can follow me personally on Twitter at Elena J. Mamrell and on my website, elenagotiamamrell.com. If you want to hear more of my voice in your ears, you can listen to my two other podcasts, Philosophy Casting Call and Women of Questionable Morals, which is a Gilmore Girls thematic recap podcast. Incredible. Um, and you can also follow Bookshelf Remix at Bookshelf Remix on all platforms. Please rate and review our show. This allows more people to find it. And you can also support the podcast by giving a tip on ko-fi.com forward slash BR pod. So text a friend who is a twin about the show. Text a friend who plays piano about the show. And remember to give your bookshelf a good remix.